Good afternoon, Jim. It's uh, good to be sitting uh, on Zoom with you again, recording another episode of the Equip Project podcast. We're approaching Easter in just a few days from now and uh, really excited to get back to church. Once again, we're returning physically uh, at Crescent Church, um, which is, is something that I'm really looking forward to. Um, it's been a long year since our first lockdown, hasn't it? It certainly has. I, I can hardly believe that we've been in and out of lockdown for over a year now. And years from now, Ollie, when I'm home in heaven, you'll tell your grandchildren about the weirdness of the year 2020, and they'll shake their heads in amazement. Yeah, I know. It has been such a strange time for everyone. But it does look now as if there's some light at the end of the tunnel, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, and as I say, it'll be so good to be in the church building once again to celebrate Easter Sunday, which I always think is such a special service. Um, we've managed to keep the podcast going through this pandemic. Uh, the Lord has been good in that regard. And um, in fact, we're coming towards the end of season three, um, which is is just phenomenal, really, um, that we've lasted this long, Jim, that um, that you've, you've put up with me for this long. Uh, and this is our seventh episode of season three, believe it or not. <laughs> I had better explain what this one is about, Ollie, because when our listeners hear the topic, they, they, they may think it's a little bit random. Uh, Throughout season three, we've been thinking about the basic elements that make up society. So we've talked about institutions like the media and cultural artefacts like language and controlling narratives such as expressive individualism and critical theory, and then the impact of new social forces like Islam. But today we're going to talk about conversion therapy, and that sounds like an utterly random topic for this season. Uh, But I promise you that when we get to the end of the conversation, we'll see that it illustrates what's happening uh, to a crucial element of any society. Brilliant. Well, we'll keep that kind of link to our theme for this season under wraps for now, and we'll do the big reveal later on. But for now, let's be brave and think about this hugely controversial topic called conversion therapy. There's been so much in the media in recent weeks about the campaign to ban a practice called conversion therapy. And I suppose the obvious place to start, Jim, is to define what is meant by that term. Well, unfortunately, Ollie, that question causes us to hit a brick wall immediately. Um, The lobby group driving this campaign defines it as a practice or intervention that attempts to erase, repress, cure, or change someone's sexual orientation or gender identity. Now, that is a rather elastic definition. So the campaign group gives three examples. And the first is from someone called George, and he describes the laying on of hands, uh, intensive prayer, the casting out of demons, and being forced to describe his homosexual experiences and to repent of them. Two adults shouted at him, pressed down upon his head, forcing him to his knees. And during follow-up sessions, George was told that spirits had returned and needed casting out. Okay, so that's the first illustration. The second example is from someone called Caroline, and she recounts a time during the 1960s when she was a teenager suffering from gender dysphoria. And a local vicar referred her to a psychiatrist who arranged aversion therapy at Blackburn Hospital, and that involved electric shock treatment. The third case is about Ibrahim, a young medical student. He came out as gay to his religiously conservative family, and his father arranged for an appointment with a Muslim psychiatrist working at Harley Street. And Ibrahim says he was asked invasive questions about watching pornography and his previous relationships with girls. And he claims that he left the counselling session feeling violated and afraid. 
There have also been stories about the monstrous idea of corrective rip. So taking those anecdotes in the round, we can perhaps begin to shape the idea of conversion therapy as a series of coercive and manipulative practices designed to change someone's self-understanding about their sexuality or gender. And it covers everything from coercion, exorcisms, use of electric shock treatment, to corrective rape. Now, if that was in fact how conversion therapy therapy was defined, then this would be a very short conversation, Holly. We condemn all that abusive behaviour without reservation. Yeah, absolutely. We we condemn that kind of thing in the strongest of terms. Um, and even if we leave aside the coercion issue for now, there are two big reasons why the whole idea of conversion therapy is wrong, aren't there? Yes, it's based on bad science. That's the first reason. And bad theology. That's the second. Conversion therapy seeks to change someone from being homosexual to being heterosexual. Um, so the goal is to eradicate feelings and desires. But as we've discussed in previous episodes, Ollie, that's not the Christian response. When someone says, I am gay, they're saying three things. They're saying, this is what I do, this is how I feel, and this is who I am. In other words, there are statements being made about behavior, feelings, and identity. And the Bible is quite clear about the first and the last of those three statements. It condemns all sexual behavior outside of marriage, which it defines as a lifelong covenant between one man and one woman. And it condemns as idolatry the concept of a sexualized identity. But same-sex feelings or gender dysphoria are not to be condemned. They are a reality in a fallen world that should attract neither praise nor blame. So the notion of flipping someone's feelings from same-sex to opposite sex is not a Christian response to sexuality issues. As somebody famously said, in Christian thought, the journey for the homosexual is not from homosexuality to heterosexuality, it's the journey from homosexuality to holiness. In other words, it's exactly the same journey for everyone. We're all on the highway to holiness. Okay, that, that's helpful, Jim. So what you're saying there is that we as Christians condemn not only the coercive tactics described in some of these stories, but we also reject the therapeutic approach, which is focused on flipping someone's feelings. And I guess at this point, it's important to ask, um, do we have any idea how widespread conversion therapy is? Have there been any studies performed on it? No, really. There have only been two very poor studies available, and that is a big problem given the urgency with which legislation is being pushed through. In 2017, the government's National LGBT Survey Team conducted some research at Pride events uh, throughout the country. And 2% of the people surveyed claimed to have undergone conversion therapy. But that was a self-selected sample, unrepresentative of the population, uh, with no geographic or time parameters included. So we could have been talking about events that occurred 50 years ago in Jamaica, for example. But the crucial problem with the survey is that conversion therapy wasn't defined. The second survey comes from a private firm led by the activist Jane Ozan, uh, who published their findings in 2018. Uh, and as in the first survey, conversion therapy wasn't defined and participants were self-selecting. Now, in that survey, 458 people claimed that somebody had tried to change their sexual orientation. But the interesting thing is, 282 of those respondents described the therapy as private prayer or prayer with close friends. So you can begin to see the crucial importance of defining what we actually mean by conversion therapy. Yeah, I think that's a really significant point, Jim, and I just want to kind of follow up on that or, or dig a little bit deeper. 
on that point concerning prayer. Uh, So a number of the respondents mentioned prayer as a form of conversion therapy. What do you think about that? Well, of course, it depends on what is prayed. I mean, I don't believe in the old phrase, pray the gay away, because that is enlisting God's help in the false narrative of flipping from homosexuality to heterosexuality. But if a young adult asks me to pray for them to have the strength to live according to biblical values, then of course I should be free to pray that type of prayer, as I would do for anyone. The progressive left's position in these matters is, of course, hopelessly confused. I mean, take an example. If a young man did ask for help because he wanted to align his biological desires with his wider wishes for his life, then this proposed legislation would prevent me doing that. But if that same young man asked for help because he wanted to align his body with his desires, then the government will fund transition surgery. On a practical level, I think church pastors will become increasingly wary of praying or even counselling people with same-sex attraction because they're going to be worried that they might be being set up in much the same way that Christian bakers were set up some years ago. And the result will be that genuine requests for spiritual counselling may not be fulfilled, which will increase the levels of isolation that young people may feel. That's a really helpful response, Jim. Thank you. Um, What is happening in the political sphere just now? So with regards to this issue, how are politicians in the UK reacting to the campaign to ban conversion therapy? Well, the pressure from the LGBT all-party parliamentary group is intense. I was reading an article that's just published on this subject this morning uh, in The Spectator, and Douglas Murray calls it big gay, (laughs) just to emphasize the enormous lobbying power of these groups. Uh, Now, The press has actually reported stories of illegal private lobbying of ministers by the likes of Crispin Blunt, who chairs that all-party group. And just a few weeks ago, on Monday the 8th of March, um, the lobbyists managed to get a Westminster Hall debate. Um, That's a debate in Parliament where there's no vote taken at the end. Now, a good number of Christian MPs had asked to speak about the risks to ordinary church life in the debate, but none of them were selected. All of the 20 MPs who spoke supported the ban without qualification. So the pressure on the government ministers like Liz Truss and so forth at the moment are, are are intense. I guess one of the responses people might have to this campaign is, isn't it a good thing that le- legislation outlawing some of the things that we discussed at the beginning, horrible things, um, isn't that a good thing that legislation could come in that, that outlaws that kind of thing? Well, of course. Uh, I mean, there are two points to make. First of all, um, most of those things that I talked about are already uh, covered by leg- existing legislation. But let me say without caveat, if conversion therapy was carefully defined to mean wrongful or coerced medical treatment, and if there was evidence of it happening today in the UK, then no Christian would have a problem with a new law. But that's not how the proposed law is being framed. I'm afraid to say that there is a much deeper and a really quite sinister game af- afoot here. The real target for the lobbyists is the ability of the church to preach repentance. That's the real goal here, to outlaw the preaching of repentance, to make it illegal to preach about conversion, spiritual conversion. Because as evangelicals, we do believe in conversion. We invite sinners to come to the Savior. We call people to move from death to life, to repent of their sins and begin a new life in Christ. And my fear is that it is that core gospel appeal which is the real target of the LGBT lobbyists. In John chapter 8, the Lord Jesus tells the woman caught in adultery, 
Go and sin no more. Now he says that to all of us. But it's entirely possible that a gospel message like that could become illegal. Campaigners want to stop people criticizing their lifestyles or their beliefs. A conversion therapy ban, if it's constructed with sinister intent, could hand activists a veto on the preaching and the practice of churches. Yeah, that that's a really uh, disturbing prospect, Jim. And in some ways, this represents the classic uh, move the progressive left make when they take something that's obviously wrong and bind it together with something they just disagree with so that they can legislate against the thing they disagree with. Yes, I was really shocked to hear MPs, uh, former government ministers, deliberately list out the elements of conversion therapy. And in the same sentence, they listed electric shock treatments, corrective rape, and prayer. Now, that is shocking. Yeah, and one of the the most shocking things in this campaign um, is the words of those who call themselves evangelicals. Uh, You mentioned Jane Ozan earlier. And she describes herself as an evangelical Anglican. She's a member of the Church of England Synod. But she claims that church prayer ministry is actually a form of conversion therapy. And she attacks churches for teaching that homosexual behavior is sinful. Uh, yeah, I have a quote from Jane Ozan here. She says, We urge you to ensure that the UK will not tolerate those who practice conversion therapy in any form, whether consensual or not, and that those who practice it will be prosecuted. This will have the impact of causing religious leaders to think twice, as they will be loath to to risk having a criminal record that would stop them following their vocation. Now, that is chilling stuff. Yeah, it it really is. The other key voice or another main voice in this uh, debate, um, who, uh, well, previously would have called himself an evangelical, uh, now a high-profile ex-evangelical, is Steve Chalk. And he says... uh, a ban must cover pastoral care of those with same-sex attraction. He says informal prayer and sermons that do not affirm LGBT identities are damaging and require government intervention, alleging these are safeguarding issues. Chalk claims that failing to embrace pro-LGBT theology will lead to a crop of high-profile prosecutions against churches. So think how this might affect our lives. A Christian shares the gospel message with a colleague, explaining the need for repentance. Her colleague, we'll imagine, happens to be in a same-sex relationship. And incensed by the offence of the gospel, the woman tracks down every sentence ever uttered in a sermon preached in the Christian's church from years ago. She then claims that the Christians told her that she would go to hell for being gay. Or think about parenting. A teenager tells her schoolteacher that her parents are trying to stop her from being gay. Now, that would generate a court case immediately under the new legislation. Let's shift gears now, Jim, and explain to our listeners why we're talking about such a specific issue in the middle of a season uh, about the elements that make up society. On a few occasions this season, we have reflected on the elements that made up society in biblical times. So in the days of Jeremiah, we encounter institutions like the priesthood, the king, his officials, and so on. But one of the most important elements in Jewish society was what we might call the prophetic voice. Think of men like Elijah, Micah, Isaiah, and Jeremiah. God called these men to stand in the public square and tell the truth to a society that was falling to pieces. And the New Testament begins, of course, with John the Baptist, 
who's described as the voice of one crying in the wilderness. He stood outside of a society's power structures and cried out for people to repent. And one of the key roles of the Christian church today is to be that prophetic voice, isn't it? We're called by God to stand for truth, to stand in the public square as John the Baptist did, and to call people to repent. And so now, hopefully, we've joined the dot somewhat between the theme of this series and our conversation about conversion therapy. This proposed new legislation is actually an attempt to silence the prophetic voice of the church. It's a potentially very serious moment for us, Ollie. I mean, the example of John the Baptist is a powerful one for Christians today. John showed enormous courage in speaking truth to power. He told Herod straight that his sexual ethics were wrong and that he should repent. And so Herod locked him up in prison. But Herod's partner, a vengeful woman called Herodias, wasn't content for John to be locked up in prison. She was so enraged by the Baptist's rebuke that she would not rest until she had him dead. And Matthew 14 records the grotesque story um, of how she got her daughter to get a drunken Herod sexually aroused. And she then demanded the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And weak fool that he was, Herod agreed. Now that terrible image of John the Baptist's head being paraded into Herodias, the head sitting in a pool of blood on a silver platter, that, that image reveals just how deeply people can hit the prophetic voice. Herodias literally cut off the voice of God. And the really serious point can be seen later on in Herod's story. Herod was enormously curious about Christianity. He really wanted to investigate it. And so on Easter week, he arranged with his friend Pilate to have an interview with Christ. Now, the Lord Jesus had a long set of conversations with Pilate. He had engaged with Ananias and Caiaphas during his arrest. But when he is brought to Herod, the Lord says nothing. He refuses to open his mouth. Why? Because Herod had cut off the voice of God. He had passed the point of no return. Yeah, it's sober stuff, Jim. And, and that story represents a solemn warning to our society. Um, if legislation such as the kind we've, we've talked about shuts down the prophetic voice of the church, if Christian preachers are imprisoned, for calling people to repentance, then eventually the voice of God in this culture, in this society, may be silenced. And at that point, um, we've really passed the point of, of no return. The character of Herodias reminds me of another formidable woman that we meet in the Bible, the woman called Jezebel. She had the same implacable hatred for the prophets of the Lord. She devoted so much energy to her battles with the prophet Elijah. I mean, it's almost as if history is repeating itself here. Um, both those women represent the relentless, vengeful energy that can erupt when people react to the call to repent. It's an incredibly powerful motivation in this society as well. I sometimes wonder how political activists today can find so much energy to wage their unrelenting war against Christianity. But the source of that energy is in the offence of the gospel. It's the same energy that caused respectable members of the ruling elite to stand around a cross and Mock a dying man on Good Friday. We will not have this man rule over us. The sinful heart always reacts with murderous rage against the call to repent. 
And so in this Easter week, we perhaps need to remind ourselves that Christians need courage. We need the courage of Elijah, the courage of Jeremiah, the courage of John the Baptist, the courage of Christ. Elijah was hunted like a fox by Jezebel. Jeremiah was thrown into a slimy pit. John the Baptist was beheaded. Our Lord was crucified. And so we may be called to show that same courage. We have been called to be a crucial element in our society. We have been called to be the prophetic voice in the public square. Now, of course, we contend for the faith in a gentle, rational and persuasive way. But I'm afraid we should expect to be locked up, even killed. When our Lord wept over Jerusalem, he reflected on that truth. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those that are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but ye would not. So perhaps Easter 2021, Ollie, is the time when we resolve to show courage, to stand for truth, to be a prophetic voice in the public square. Thanks, Jim. And we want to wish all our listeners a very happy Easter. um, And we look forward to um, spending time with you all again in our next episode.